You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What's the difference between being broke and poor? It's not a trick question. Robert Kiyosaki in his must-read book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, explains it like this. When you're broke, you have no money. But if you refuse to say the words, I can't afford that, and ask this question instead, how can I afford that? You are rich. That's right. Rich is a story. It's a mindset. Develop that story and you will overcome being broke. You may even become very wealthy. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I've discovered that leaders are readers, and as a listener to this show, you have access as a free gift to any audiobook of your choice, choosing from more than 180,000 titles from our sponsor, Audible. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power, choose the book that you want, download it for free, enjoy it, and keep it forever. Also, you will get a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service. I'm excited to announce that I have created brand new content for you. It is an additional episode, a short one, about five to ten minutes long, and it will appear at least once a week. I call these episodes One Word Stories. Each episode will focus on a word, a common word that we all use, but it may be charged with meanings that are affecting our lives in ways that we can't even imagine. Enjoy these episodes as mini shots of empowerment. Remember to keep your dialogue with the show alive. It enriches everyone. Send your responses, your comments, your requests to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest is a man who knows what it's like to be broke. He never caved in to the poverty story, so he went from broke to very successful. He's the CEO of a six-time Inc. 5000 company called Extraordinary Advisors. What do they do? They help business leaders get shit done. He is also an executive coach and the author of the popular book, The Job Search Process, Find and Land a Great Job in Six Weeks or Less. 
Get ready to renew your story and have some fun with Todd Palmer. Todd, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Lewis, thank you very much for having me today. Thank you, Todd. Let's begin with where you were born. So I, I was born in Metro Detroit in Mount Clemens, Michigan in 1968. What was life like in Detroit, my friend? Well, you know, it's interesting. So at the age of five, um, I lost my father. He passed away unexpectedly. He was only 45 years old. And my mother relocated me uh, to the middle of Michigan. So we went from Metro Detroit to a town named Grass Lake, Michigan. And it's a very small farm town community where literally when I graduated from high school, I had 42 kids in my graduating class. So I didn't grow up and I wasn't raised in the big city of Detroit. I was raised on a farm. And that I see as one of the real pivotal pivotal experiences of my life because literally I grew up in a town where you knew everyone. You knew everyone's name. You knew everyone in their community. And it was the, yeah, the kind of that, that Midwestern farming ethic that I think has really helped shape, me, shape my life today. Oh, it's interesting. How, how so? How did it uh, help to shape your life? Well, I, I think one of the biggest appreciations I have was being with you know kids I went to school with and, and their parents and watching people literally have to get up at the crack of dawn to do their job. And so that strong work ethic to start the day was ingrained in me very quickly. Uh, my mother was a receptionist and secretarial support person for a local auto plant about 40 minutes east of Grass Lake. And so I would watch her get up every day, go to work all day, and come back at night and work on our farm. And so this that strong work ethic, nothing was ever, you know, my mom was a self-made person. My family comes from self-made stock, and I never there's never a situation where there's ever a silver spoon involved, as a lot of people might think. Mm, okay, I got it. Who would you say influenced you the most when you were a child? Your mom? Certainly, starting with her, uh, my mom, and, I, and I've told people this before, my mom was probably the hardest working woman I've ever been around, and I've been around some hardworking gals, and she, my mom... You know, just kind of a couple of points that <laughs> drive the point home. When after my father passed away, she would drive two hours one way to to work. She had not worked in a, almost a decade, raising myself and my my brother and sister. She had to go back to work upon his passing and drove two hours one way. This is in 1974, which is right in the middle of the OPEC oil embargo when unemployment was high, gas was at a premium, and it was impossible to find a job in Metro Detroit. She then pivoted off of that to then move us to this smaller town for a different quality of life as she saw it. And she was able to really ingrain upon me the, the work ethic of what it took to be a farmer. She would work all day and, and the weekends and the evenings because her dream was to always live on a farm. Nothing was going to stop her. She was you know, leveraged to the hilt at times. Um, there are times when... And we literally had to chop down trees to put into the fireplace to be able to have heat in our home. And my mom, that was just that hard of a working woman. And she certainly influenced me. And I I, I guess I'd have to say the the other person who was a really big influence in my life was my older brother, Greg. He he was um, probably one of the hardest, hardest working, smartest guys I've ever known. Has a dual degree in economics and finance. And he, he was so successful in his career, he retired at the age of 49 years old to never have to necessarily work another day in his life and then pivoted off of that to build a second career 
that was even more successful than the first. So I really admire both, you know, both my mom and my brother in helping me, you know, shape who I am today. Wow. Those are some very powerful role models, my friend. Indeed. Now, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, I think like every kid, I, I had that childhood dream. Um, my, my passion as a kid, and even sometimes my passion still today as an adult, was to play baseball. Um, and I wanted to be a great baseball player, and I practiced, and I just, frankly, just didn't have the natural ability to do that that career. So once I figured out quickly that I was, you know, being a professional Detroit Tiger was not on my uh, on my radar, I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to have some ability in that category, and I, I parlayed that into a journalism scholarship out of high school and into into the local community college. But quickly discovered that my, my passion wasn't necessarily going to be a great career for me. I could not see myself working in the in the world of the media. But the, I think it has still served me well because I was able to you know, write my first book. So that's that's where I always thought I, I would end up as being a writer. But it just life did not take that path for me. You said first book. Do you have another one as well? Yeah, I've got. I'm working on my second book right now. Um, it's really kind of on my entrepreneurial journey as well as my journey as a single parent. I, I raised my son from the age of two, and uh, he's actually going to be turning 27 very soon. So in that Whoa. 25. Yeah, wow. it's, it's, it's been crazy because, as, as I've often you know told my friends, it, it was like a boy raising a boy. So he and I are very close, and I'm a very, very fortunate individual to have um, you know a, a, a son who's gotten, gotten his degree. He's an accountant in California. And he is just a, a really outstanding young man, and I uh, ho- hope I had a little bit of a, a little bit of say in that. But, but by and large, I think it's really just who he is as a man now. I'm sure that you had a powerful influence on him as well, Todd. How did you choose the career that you have today? Well, you know, after I became a single parent, my I was teaching actually at the uni- local university, and that. That career path was not going to be sustainable because of the number of hours required. And again, as now hopefully a lot of your your audience understands that you know you often hear it with single moms, but as a single parent in general, there's only so many hours you can devote to a career. And it, I quickly discovered that you know working in a university setting was not going to be conducive to raising a small child. My brother was in the recruiting space in the staffing industry, and he suggested I might want to try that as a career. So I left education, went into sales for the, a recruiting company, and ended up ended up eventually starting my own business in 1997, diversified industrial staffing, in the in the headhunting and career space, based essentially on the recommendation of my older brother. But what you do today is quite different. Yeah, basically, well, I'm still the chairman and CEO at Diversified Industrial Staffing. Now I do I pivoted some of the experiences that we've had off of that as well as some of the, the coaches that I've used to help me grow and scale my business. Now I have Extraordinary Advisors, which is really uh, a real passionate opportunity for me where I can help CEOs and C-level executives create that connection between their their passion, their purpose, and their heart with good, solid business tools such as you know how do you manage cash, how, how do you create a vision and a strategy, how do you create execution off of that strategy? And, then, and how do you work in, and build a team to help you scale and grow that business? But all doing it under the guidelines and the thought process of, you know, what is my what is my vision? Who am I as, as a leader? And what kind of mark do I want to leave in the world? Mm-hmm. Now, 
I alluded at the beginning with my introduction that um, you experienced being broke, and I know that uh, you had some other major setbacks on your climb to success. You know, I love the the comment I've heard people say, let me tell you about my overnight success that took 11 years to get to. Exactly. Or yeah. 15 years, whatever. So could you share with us some of the major obstacles, personal and or professional, that you had to overcome to get sure. to where you are today? I, I think that's a great question. So often when you know, I'm asked to speak, they want me to come and talk about success. And, and I think there is certainly a, a, a point in, in the success journey, but the, really the success point where everybody I've ever known who's been successful has started the same point as this question, what are your setbacks and what is your hero's journey to a degree? And I, I think for the first the first real setback I had is you know losing my dad at the age of five years old. That was certainly shaped and changed my life in a different path, changed who I was a, a, as a young person, and changed who I was was going to be as an adult. Upon that decision, then you know, upon that reality, I made different decisions. I you know, became a single parent, as I talked about. By being a single parent, that then changed some different decisions, and it, it caused me to start you know my company diversified. To the point where you know I was 27 years old, and I was I had no idea how lucky I was to start the company when I did, because the country was at full employment. When the country's at full employment, to have a recruiting company is a great thing because you've got people, businesses need people, and people need jobs, and you're just essentially a matchmaker. And that got us off to a really great start. Started the company on basically on you know a small loan and credit cards for fifteen thousand dollars, and we're, we're able to make it profitable by day 72. That gave me a huge sense of confidence. But also, I, I created a huge blind spot. So by 2006, I thought I had everything figured out. I had opened another business that you know didn't turn out, and um, I was you know kind of in a coasting mindset. Well, in 2006, we're two years ahead of the recession here in the United States, and manufacturing manufacturing was slowing down, hiring was slowing down, and within a very short period of time in 2006, all contingent workforce had essentially dried up. Companies stopped hiring. People like our business went from doing really well to doing very poorly very quickly. And by September of 2006, I was $600,000 in debt. I was 60 days away from running out of cash. I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture within my company. And as the owner, I was suffering from a massive case of imposter syndrome. I was checked out. I was depressed and paralyzed, and I wasn't sure what my next steps were going to be. Wow. And now, <laughs> how, do you, how do you turn that around? How do you begin to turn it around inside your mind to create a story that leads you to success? Wow, that's, that's a phenomenal question. Um, what I had to really do is I had to recognize and realize that in order to change my company, I had to change myself as leader. I had to change how I approach things mentally. And I re had to recognize and realize that I did not have all the answers. And I didn't know everything I thought I knew when I started the company you know, almost 10 years prior. And the first thing I did is I reached out for help and I hired a coach. And I remember, I'm $600,000 in debt, and I have six days away from running out of cash, and I hired a coach. And I had to beg, borrow, promise, and plead for this person to, to take me on as a client because he, he had no guarantee he was actually ever going to get paid. Well, that was a real pivotal, pivotal moment. He came in. He assessed the company. He saw some strengths and opportunities that I, I was missing. And he said, real, real succinctly, he goes, you've got to follow your gut more and not worry about everything else in the world. Not worry about what your customers want. Not worry about what your employees want and 
do what you think is best because often as leaders, we can be led down a primrose path that doesn't lead to success but to failure. And we had to sit down and had a really difficult conversation. Because we're 60 days away from running out of cash and because we had unprofitable clients, we had to cut clients that weren't making us money. That's painful. As a leader, I'd recognized that I'd put people in, in positions of leadership and p- put people on my team who were not executing appropriately. So as painful as it, to, as it is to admit, I had to make some difficult decisions. And I walked in in September, September 9th of 2006, fired my entire company and started over. And that was a, a true crossroads in my professional career. Wow. I want to pause for a second for people to take note of something. You made a very important statement when you said you were broke or you were on you were just about to run out of all cash and at that point you decided to hire a coach and this is a lesson uh in mindset training that is a tough one for people and it requires changing your story. People feel I will only do something when I can afford it, as opposed to saying, no, I have to do it when I, it seems that I can't afford it if I want to ever be able to afford it. Make sense? Absolutely. It's it's very much akin to, and you see this a lot with, you know, Hollywood or celebrities or even, you know, sports professionals or even, you know, friends and family. People hit rock bottom and that and, and that was my rock bottom moment. And at that point, I needed to recognize that I want a different future for myself, but more importantly, I want a different future for my son. He was you know, 10, 11 years old at the time. He needed to have you know, college paid for, things like that, and I needed to make different decisions for him. But also, at the end of the day, I, did, I had to own my crap. I had to own my contribution to this. And I realized that I had made some difficult decisions. And also, I had gone to the bank and I'd secured lines of credit. I had talked to vendors into extending us terms. Now I wasn't going to be able to pay those people. That did not sit well with me on a human level. I had to make changes in order to satisfy those debt obligations because, you know, bank bankruptcy attorneys are going to tell you, Discard that you know that's the instrument is there for shuttle that those monies that that money belongs to somebody else who trusted me and I think goes back to again you know, growing up on a farm we were people of our words we didn't have contracts we did everything on a handshake these people had trusted me and I needed to correct the mistakes that I had made wow wonderful true sign of character now you just began to describe one of the important components of what I would call the mindset that leads to excellence. Would you, can you talk about any other characteristics of the mindset of excellence? Well, I think that for, to have a mindset of excellence, I think for, at least for me, and, and also I, I see this a lot with the clients that I work with at Extraordinary Advisors, is to understand the mindset of excellence. The individual first must know thyself, to quote Shakespeare. You, you've got to know who you are as well as who you are not. No one is all things to all people. And once you identify that, that's a huge step in the process. I do this exercise with my clients where I help them figure out where the bottlenecks are within their companies. I I kid you not, Lewis, often the bottleneck is at the top, top of the bottle. And it starts with the CEO or the leadership team and the challenges they have. Once we identify those and figure those out, then to to get into a leadership mindset to, to switch from scarcity to abundance and to believe that there is a brighter future out there, that there is a there is. There are plenty of clients. 
there is someone who will hire you for your services or there will be someone who potentially buy your product and push it out there. Go out into the marketplace, create a strategy, execute against that strategy, and then I think one of the you know other big components is to listen to the feedback that the world is giving you. If you have a great idea and it's not working, well, maybe it's not that great of an idea. Maybe there are kernels of that idea that are great, but maybe not. One of my, one of my favorite entrepreneurs of all time is Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he, at the age of 65, he redefined his life after he lost his one retail location. And he went around the country and went out on 1,009 sales appointments trying to get franchisees before he sold his first franchise. During that process, he got tons of feedback from, from business owners on how to sell his chicken differently, how to position it differently. If he hadn't been open to that kind of feedback and he hadn't shifted his mindset, who, who, we may not have Kentucky Fried Chicken today. Mm-hmm. I love the Colonel Sanders story. It's a great example of what David Schwartz, in his book, The Magic of Thinking Big, calls not giving in to age excuse-itis. That's when you say, I can't accomplish something because of my age. I'm either too young or too old to do something. It's just an excuse. It's just a story. I guess I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you believe that mindset is more important than knowledge and skill for building a successful business? You know, I, I think mindset is the absolute foundation for everything. It's amazing, I think, as human beings, what we can accomplish. And I've got some friends of mine who are professional athletes, and I ask them what makes a certain athlete better than another. And to a man, they've all said we basically had the same, by and large, the same level of physical ability. It's the mindset in which we approach things. It's how we handle failure. It's how we handle risk. It's how, you know, in baseball, you're successful if you fail seven out of ten times. It's that ability to bounce back and to put those things out of your mindset. It's that ability to have that mental discipline to focus when necessary. It's that ability to see failures as nothing more as a pathway to success as compared to a barrier to success. It's To me, it's the absolute most critical component, regardless of how smart you are or how much how much how many guts you think you have. If your mindset's going to set the path for the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, for me, mindset, the word mindset is synonymous with your story. It's the story that you create, the narrative you create around any situation. And um, that's why I've got change your story, change your life. How does the employee mindset get in the way of the entrepreneurial mindset? Well, I, I think oftentimes from the entrepreneur's perspective, it's a push and pull. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with being the entrepreneur versus being the employee. What I mean by that is this. As an entrepreneur, we're focused on often the bright and shiny things. We're often focused on the next big thing. We're often focused on ourselves where an employee is going to be focused on taking care of the basics of life. You know, do, do I? It's kind of like food, shelter, and clothing. Do I, am I going to get a paycheck every week? Am I going to get benefits? Am I? Am I are my vacation times going to accrue? And am, am I going to be rewarded for doing a good job? And can I leave work at the office? The entrepreneurial mindset. You're you're on twenty four seven, three sixty five sometimes, and 
a lot. And, they, and they, there's this weird di- subgroup, as I see it, uh, uh, as people who consider themselves entrepreneurs, but really all they've done is essentially build themselves a job. A lot of solopreneurs, a, a lot of the freelancer nations in this category. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great thing to do. You don't necessarily have to build a, a big company to be considered a success. But what I, I think the overall pieces of, of all these three worlds, whether it's the entrepreneur, the, the solopreneur, or, or, or the employee, is what kind of life do you want to build? And are you willing to, to stake your claim to build a life by design? And that goes back to your, your comment about mindset. You can be uh, a CEO of a company. You can be the janitor of that company. If you have the, the mindset appropriate for those positions, if you want to be the best janitor possible, well, you're going to get intrinsic joy out of providing that service, providing that skill set. And if you're a CEO and you're corrupt as the day is long, you're going to be out of alignment with your values and things will not go well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wise, wise words. What has your life as a single dad taught you about running a company? You know, I think the biggest thing is that you've got to have life balance. Uh, kids, um, kids require that. And ultimately, it's, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are, can be very um, self-focused. Not necessarily always self-absorbed or selfish, but very self-focused in what they want to accomplish. And I know that a lot of the decisions I made, especially during the tough times of 2006 and 2007, were around the mindset of someday I'm going to have to explain this decision to my son. And that's going to keep me on the straight and narrow path. So when I was $600,000 in debt, many attorneys said, go ahead, file bankruptcy. It's, it's completely within your right. It's completely within the laws of, of the state of Michigan and the United States. That's what you should do. And I'm like, no, I, I do not want to sit here and have to explain to my son that I filed bankruptcy to restart the company and I, and I basically took advantage of other people because I told him not to take advantage of other people. I told him to be a man of his word. I had to be a man of my word. If that meant delayed gratification, so be it. But really, those were so that's really what being a single dad in, in that time and space for me was really that that guiding principle of right and wrong versus what was you know legal versus illegal when it came to you know the, the, the thought process of bankruptcy. Wow, yeah, it sounds like a very powerful form of accountability, self account self accountability. That's wonderful to hear. Well, well, I think often people will do more for for others than they sometimes will do for themselves. You know, you, you see that a lot with again sports teams. You see that within the military units. These these groups of men and women will do more for their their colleagues sometimes than they will do for themselves. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody at lunch the other day, and we were talking about how we drive, and we drive much more recklessly and much more dangerously when we're in the car by ourselves than when we have a passenger, especially if that passenger is our children. Hmm. Great point. That's, that's interesting to keep in mind. Now, have you invested in formal personal development training? Absolutely. Um, I do several different versions of it. I've done everything from, and I still do. Uh, so I hired the coach in 2006, and I still have a coach. Um, the coach I had in 06 was, was, was very practical, and he was with me for five years. We both agreed that that relationship had come to a very satisfying conclusion for both of us. Um, the coach I have right now is really very much around mindful, mindfulness, mind training, and, and shifting from the thought processes of scarcity to the thought processes of abundance. 
I've done, you know, I still play competitive baseball. I have a baseball hitting coach because I want to get better at it. I realize that I don't know everything. And I think lastly, and probably more, the, one of the most important relationships I've ever developed is I'm part of a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization, otherwise known as EO. I'm part of the EO Detroit chapter. And it's a peer-to-peer learning opportunity for me where I have a group. Some of us have been in the same you know, forum group for 15 years. These, these gentlemen and these ladies know me so intimately, and they provide counsel, and they provide uh, a gestalt framework of non-judgment. So as an entrepreneur, we will sometimes be our own worst critic. Other entrepreneurs sit in a room, and we share what's going on with us, and it creates a, an incredible learning opportunity from, from peers that has just, for me has just it's been transformative. Um, any of your listeners who, who are out there considering joining a peer-to-peer learning group, I could not recommend it more highly. Fabulous. Now, of the thought leaders in the personal development world today, are there any that stand out for you that you admire? First name that comes to mind is a gentleman on the West Coast here in the United States, Dr. Daniel Friedland, and he has a company called Super Smart Health. And his ability within his four and four framework to to take challenges or problems that you face either again as a parent, as an individual with yourself, or as a CEO with your company, and help you reframe those so that you're able to see every situation as a challenge and not as a win or lose failure opportunity for me has just been amazing. I've, Oh gosh, I must have seen him speak four or five times now, and I think his his message of of cur- a curious nature around every problem, his message of again that form four framework of taking a problem, re- re- flipping it on its ear, and being able to turn again a, a challenge situation into an opportunity situation. I, I flat out, and, I, and I've told him this. He, he's flat out changed my life just because he's helped me rethink of everyday life as well as, you know, big business challenges I've faced. Dr. Daniel Friedman, you said. Friedlind. Oh, Friedlind. How, how do you spell it? F-R-I-E-D-L-A-N-D. And what was the name of his, um, his you said he has a, uh, a system or uh, an organization? Yeah, yeah uh, his system is called the 4 and 4 Framework. His company is uh, named Super Smart Health, and his background is he is actually a medical doctor, and he his specialty was the human brain, and he and he shows everyone from entrepreneurs to average people how to immediately change the way you think, and re and he treats the brain like a a living breathing muscle that can be completely reformatted relatively quickly as c- compared to the the conventional thought process that. Once you, you know, once you're over 21, 25 years old, you are, um, you know, you're essentially done and you can't do it. Yeah, and his website is supersmarthealth.com. Now I'm going to check that out. You know, it reminds me a bit of uh, Don Miguel Ruiz who wrote The Four Agreements. Okay. You know, I don't know if you know this, but the man was a brain surgeon and he stopped being a brain surgeon because he actually said... I was more interested in studying the mind than the brain, which came back to mindset and altering uh, our thought patterns rather than the physical organ of the brain. I, I think uh, Friedland would fall into a very much a similar camp. 
Mm-hmm. He just has that that ability, and, and it's it's how he. It's not just not just what he believes. It's just as important how he communicates and, and how he conveys. And it, that's that's just I've never I literally never met anybody like he's probably literally one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's inspiring. Thank you. In your business, you believe in hiring for DNA instead of resume. What do you mean by that? And give us an example. So I think the best specific example are the mistakes that I made uh, in hiring for diversified industrial staffing. I hired a lot of people in the mid-2000s with a lot of staffing industry experience. They had great resumes, but they weren't a great cultural fit. And when I reconstituted and I reformatted the company in 06, uh, it dawned on me that I really needed to work with people, first and foremost, that I wanted to spend my time with. I'm spending 10 hours a day with these people. I need to be around people that I, I like, I admire, and I enjoy their company and who are going to work hard. Well, that none of that is really seen on a resume. So we designed a system where I, I would find people, and I actually find, had a great run of pulling people from restaurant and retail because they were good people. And we had a, I had a way of interviewing them and finding out there, this is before EQ became really popular. So what was their emotional quotient? What, what were their, their unique abilities? And then teaching them to be great recruiters. I could always teach someone to be a great recruiter if they had the great DNA, but I couldn't reverse the process. And, and when, I, when I speak often about you know, how, to, how to scale your company into a six-time Inc. 5000 company, one of the pivotal moments for me is to really say you've got – I found best to hire for DNA, not for resume – because you can, you can again, you can take, teach somebody to be a, a great recruiter, but I couldn't teach them to be great people. Mm. Yeah, it always comes back to that personal uh, um, component, which, again, relates to mindset and to the story that we're operating with in the world. What are the four pillars of successful business coaching that you believe in? Well, for me, I, I think... That there, there are the four pillars, and then there's the overriding canopy, almost like a tent. So the, the first pillar for me is strategy. What is the strategy of the organization, and how can we help flesh that out so it's understood from top to bottom? Secondarily, what is the execution against that strategy? What are this? What are our quarterly, quarterly, six month and annual goals, and how are we going to tie those out? Third piece becomes cash. You know, do we have enough cash? How are we going to make money? What is what is our our KPIs in regards to how we make money? I know as a recruiting company, for example, we make money on the two pieces: direct hire dollars in the door, and we make it off also off of on the contingent work side of profit per hour build. That's all. That's all that matters in what uh, in the recruiting space for what we do. Third, fourth piece is the staff, your team, who is on your team. Then, then I say the overriding canopy, and this is just just my recipe of it, is people. And why do I say people different than staff? It's really simple. People make all the decisions in regards to cash and how it's spent and how it's allocated. They make all the decisions on the strategy. They make all the decisions on the execution, and people make all the decisions on who will and will not stay on our team. Going back to your mindset piece, you the people have to have – a shared mindset, but that is different than group think. Group think is we're all going to go down this, you know, the leader says jump off the bridge, we're all going to jump off the bridge. Well, that's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can even have that 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 healthy dissenter in the room 
but you're all going towards a common goal and you all have a shared vision of what that looks like. And here's how we operate, like a diversified industrial staffing. We have two words in which we make all of our decisions on. And does this decision improve lives or does it not improve lives? But improve lives is the why of why we're here. We're helping a candidate get a great job, hopefully. We're helping a company, hopefully, get a great candidate. If we improve their lives, the company and the candidate, then our lives become improved. But a lot of recruiters are very self-centered and self-focused, and all they do is think about what's in it for them. If we think about what's in it for our client and what's in it for our candidate, we will be taken care of as being on the Inc. 5000 six times as indicated. Yeah, uh, six times your, your company. Correct. Wow. What, how many people achieved that? You know, um, that's a great question. I know when we, the last time we did it, I, I remember speaking to the editors at Ed Inc. Magazine, and I think at the time in the, in the, oh gosh, by then it was probably nearly 20 years of the award, I think we were one of five companies that had done it. Um, I know at that point we were the only company in Michigan, Michigan to have done it. It's just, it's really difficult to have a, a run rate where your revenue is growing at such a, such a multiplier that you're able to keep that track record going for so long. A lot, a lot of companies I know have tried to, to, to mimic it have literally grown out of business. They've run out of cash. They've had to be acquired. They've had to reconstitute what they do. So we really tried to toggle that back but yet still enjoy that that neither the marketplace had for what we could do. But you know, it, you can, it's, it's not something – you can't do it forever. Mm-hmm. Good answer. How, now, the word leadership is a word that's almost becoming a big, big buzzword in the professional world to the point where it sometimes runs the risk of losing its meaning. How do you define leadership? For me, leadership is different than management. So many people, can, I think, confuse the two, which I think goes back into your, your comment about it being a kind of a catchy buzzword. A manager executes tasks and holds people accountable to those tasks. A leader gets in the weeds. They understand who their people are. One time I had a, a great opportunity to spend some time with um, Jim Leland. He was the at the time the manager for the Detroit Tigers. And I asked him, how do you, how do you manage 25 guys in a room who are all multimillionaires, typically, who play a competitive sport that's individually focused and becomes to a team goal? And he goes, oh, it's really simple. He goes, I manage them all the same. I manage each individually differently. I've got 25 mm-hmm. guys in the room. I've got to get to know each of these 25 people. And then I have to infuse into each of these 25 people a common goal and a common vision. And that's how I lead them into being successful. I, I thought it was just absolute sheer brilliance because every organization has to do that. I would also argue every family has to do that. If you've got three kids – you got to know them individually as three different individuals, plus your significant other, plus what does our family stand for, what are our family values, what are our family goals. So that, that those principles of leadership, I think, cross over from business to sports to family. It's mm. one of the best um, definitions I've heard to date. Can anyone, in your opinion, step into leadership? And how would you guide them to take that step if they can? Well, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, I think there are certainly people who want to lead, but are they always the best leader? When I, when I think of that, I think of people who are like, well, they, they want to be the center of attention. They, they, they want to lead the room. 
because that will give them a certain amount of, of uh, visibility or what they feel is perceived credibility. And then you see people who become leaders by default. I think I always, I've got friends of mine who are in the military and they said they see that a lot where someone is just the person who, who sees a different path from point A to point B and they end up leading a group of men and women. So I think leaders can come out of a lot of different areas. I think a really good leader has to be able to know their strengths and weaknesses. They've got to be able to ask the team for help. They can't do what I did and have that imposter syndrome thinking I had to be the oracle and had to have all the answers and not share some of the pain points the organization was going through. There's such a collective wisdom with a group of people versus just a single individual, but someone needs to coordinate that sometimes. Someone needs to bring that out in others sometimes. I think uh, you know when I when I work with my leadership teams, for example, I have one simple rule. Whoever whoever hired me, it's usually the CEO. The rule working with me is you have to speak last. I want to hear what the entire rest of the room has to say. They may have a better idea than you have. They may echo an idea that you have, but they may have you know completely different. You ultimately have veto power, and you ultimately can make a different decision as the CEO and entrepreneur of your company or, or uh, the uh, executive of a public company. But the the team will get so much more synergy if you let their voices be heard, and especially with millennials, they're just uh, they're a, a generation that wants to be part of a collective versus a, a, a a generation that's all focused on being uh, on being self-focused, which I know is very contradictory to a lot of people. But the millennials I've spent with time with want to know who's you know how can we make a difference and who's on my team and where is our team going? Certainly, someone's going to lead that, but they're but they are more about team than I think we as a generation give them credit for. That's fascinating. That really is because um, it's quite a shift from a time when it was just the opposite. When uh, millennials were the ones who were always considered me, me, me. Oh, for sure. And I, th- I think it goes back to like a lot of entrepreneurs are rugged individualists. They, they want to go climb the mountain their own way. And they only really learned that even if, they, even if their way is the right way, the only way they're going to get up the mountain is in a collective group. The only way they're going to see that real level of success that they want to do, if they're really building a company and an organization, is with the help of others. And millennials, just by their their generation and how they've been incorporated into our society, they will buy into that and they will believe into that if you're able to sell them on the vision, able to show them the clear a clear path. Even if the path is muddy, if you're able to then include them in breakout sessions and decision-making processes – they they will go in those directions. They're not going to kind of fight you tooth and nail. But what they, here's what they're not going to do. They're not going to work twelve hours a day, seven days a week to kill themselves like people in their fifties and sixties would do. They've got technology available to them. They've got work life balance goals that maybe we did not have. They'll work eight hours, but the chances of them working twelve to fourteen hours like maybe we did, those those are rare birds for sure. Hmm. Thanks for those insights. What is the vision be behind Extraordinary Advisors? I think the first vision and why I started it was was to get the message out there that success, the, the path to success is, is not a destination but a journey. And so many people, when I, when I would speak, hey, will you work with me? Will you, will you help me become successful? And I would love the opportunity. 
I was I always thrived in that, but it was always a ratcheting back of helping them figure out first and foremost what did they want, why and why did they want it. And with extraordinary advisors, we have diagnostics and tools that help people figure out what they want. They figure out who they are, what their unique abilities are, what's going to make them special in the world. Then we take in and put in the practical approaches of you know the four pillars of business. And I, I you know I didn't create those four pillars. I got those from Vern Harnish from the Rockefeller Habits and Gazelles. I got those from Gino Wickman and the EOS and the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Some so some of this stuff is just you know it's very common knowledge information, but. Ultimately, for me, the real joy I get in working with with entrepreneurs or, or, or going out and giving keynote speeches on these topics is that ability to have those light bulb moments. Um, I think that takes me back to being you know being a parent. You know, the first time a child does something, or the first time they get something, and that 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 spark of recognition is so incredibly rewarding for me. When I have a CEO who's like he re, he or she realizes that they can really achieve their dreams if they just pivot a little bit. And, and their ability to quickly, swiftly move is just is so rewarding. When I work with leadership teams and the, the moments where they see that, you know, this is, you know, we don't have to close our doors if we just make some small changes. And we've got someone like Todd to walk that path with, with us as our coach is huge. Um, I was just on stage in front of a, a group of high school students the other day talking about failing forward into success. And we these these young young men and young women were able to see Maybe a different way to to approach some of their their real struggles that maybe we as you know I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old this year that maybe we don't understand or we don't remember, and for them to you know have some real powerful experience shares of where they are, for them to say hey wow there's a different way to look at this it, it's just if we can have a my, if 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 people can shift their mindset like we're talking about today Lewis and they can see the world through the, the eyes of that failure is really not even on the table. If I've learned something, I've tried something, and I've gained knowledge from it, whether I've made a million dollars or whether I, you know, maybe it didn't work out that way, I've still learned something. And that learning, it, that's the reward. And that's the kind of mentality that I'd like to believe can change the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely can. Who would you say is your ideal client? You know, my ideal client would really fall under one of two categories. It would be the the entrepreneur or or CEO executive who realizes that you know their company maybe isn't living up to its potential, or their their company's reached a glass ceiling of growth, or they're struggling to grow, or even you know, they're maybe even in turnaround mode, and they recognize that they don't have all the answers and they need help, and they're willing to look at you know themselves and the leadership team first and foremost in order to change the company. You've got to change yourself. That that's an ideal ideal client for me. But also when I when I take a look at categories like you know schools, universities, nonprofit sectors who still have goals and objectives they want to hit, and they're doing it you know leading with their hearts, leading with with that sense of community and that sense of give back. You know, I've seen some really powerful demonstrations of changes and pivots that it, it not only change a, change an organization but change a community. I, I love working with both of those categories. It's incredibly rewarding. Hmm. Do you have a favorite book, Todd? You know, I think the, the book I'm really enjoying the most right now is a book called The Freak Factor by David Rendell. And it's it's really easy to find because it's, it's a bright pink book. The, the, the desk jacket, it pops like you wouldn't believe. Dave's one of my favorite speakers. And he, his message really comes down to 
what's weird about you makes you wonderful. And being a parent, I remember I always, I didn't always encourage my son's unique abilities sometimes. I maybe wanted to put him in a box or have him go along the path. Uh, I certainly remember it as a child and as a young adult, the same, the same challenges from my parents. And as a CEO, I sometimes still run into that. So I think it's an, an ever-evolving thought process. But again, if we can take what – I think every individual has unique abilities and it's something that makes them special. And if we can focus more on what's right about somebody versus what maybe what's wrong about somebody, it's no different than working with an employee. I, I always tell my clients, find out what an employee's strengths are and play to those strengths. Minimize their weaknesses because at the end of the day, and again, I get this from the work of uh, Dr. Danny Friedland, if we're focused and we're going towards what we're uniquely gifted at, we will be much more productive and we will enjoy the work we do a heck of a lot more. So you know, between Friedland and Rendell, that's really the construct that I, I think, again, going back to why we're here today is what can change the world is your mindset around these things. Absolutely. And Dave, is it Randall or Rendell? Yeah, it's Rendell, R-E-N-D-A-L-L. I'm sure that's available on Amazon. Absolutely. I love the title. I'm going to have to look it up. And he, he's, a, he's a heck of a speaker. Um, he's got some great YouTube videos. I, I think, again, it's just I've been so fortunate and so blessed to have so many different people influence my life. And you know the great, the great thing about most entrepreneurs, I think, is a lot of us are lifelong learners. And by being a lifelong learner, you're always opening yourself up to, to new ideas or, or, or new speakers or new books or new podcasts like yours so that, again, we're not stuck and stagnant in how we approach things. I always uh, I love to quote Bob Dylan's famous line, he not busy being born is busy dying. For sure. For sure. And, and, I think and, and it's so true. It, it, it truly is. And it's just sometimes it's so disheartening to have you know, friends or family who are stuck stuck in a time warp, and I just I know I'm I'm committed, I, I, and that's why I like working with clients that are committed to, to growing and evolving. And the, the the thing of it is too, and, and I always have to explain this to people, that the the path of growth has three stages. The first path is incredibly painful. The second path is evolutionary. The second part of the path is evolutionary. The third part of it is blissful. Hmm. But you have the blissfulness if you aren't willing to have the, the, the discomfort. You have to lean into that uncomfortable so that at the end of the day you can get out of it what you're looking for. But it, there's no magic bullet. There's no, there's no silver bullet in how to, how to do these things. Love that. I never heard that before. Do you have a favorite quote? I do have a favorite quote. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. I do have a favorite quote. Um, and it, it's all wraps around the construct of success. When I was a younger entrepreneur and a younger man, I used to think success was, you know, how much money I could make, um, what kind of car I drove, what kind of house I lived in. And that was kind of the, 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 the coming out of the 80s in the me generation. That's what a lot of us had. Now I have a really simple quote, and I, I freely give credit to Tony Robbins. Uh, and it's really simple. Success for me is doing what I want, when I want, how often I want to do it, with, do it and whom I want to do it with. And I remember seeing that and just be, being so struck by it because the one part, especially as entrepreneurs, that we don't that is missing and is so magical is it doesn't none of at that just you you read the, the the quote it doesn't involve money at all it doesn't involve a trip or it doesn't involve a once in a lifetime experience what it does it, is it empowers any person to, to to be successful and it builds memories and it, and. I remember reading a, a great a great study done by uh, 
uh, I can't remember who, I, can't, I don't know who the author is, but it's a famous study I've done on hospice nurses. And they asked hospice nurses, what do people talk to you about when they know they're going to die? And it tied through to, they talk about not, not you know, what you would typically think. And it was like, these are the relationships I wish I had nurtured. I wish I would have taken better care of myself. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. Nobody on their deathbed ever says, I wish I would have worked harder. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Now, that quote, is that uh, directly from Tony Robbins? Is that Did he say it? Yeah, he I, I actually, I have a, it's actually the screensaver on my computer. Yes, he actually said it. Ah, beautiful. Where do you see yourself in five years, Todd? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I, I used to do five-year planning, 10-year planning. And the way the world nowadays works, it's t- it's tough to figure out. Ideally, what I'd like to be doing is business coaching, sp- speaking in front of large audiences, and changing the world. I know that sounds grandiose and pie in the sky, um, but I- I'd like to believe that if given the opportunity that, that I could do those things. But at the end of the day, if I've just changed one person's perspective on something or helped them see something different, that would be great. Um, in regards to, you know, last year I was in four different, on four different continents. I love to travel. I just, at the end of the day, I just want to live, have a life well lived. And I really, I feel successful every day of my life because I'm living by that, that Tony Robbins quote. So for me, I don't, I don't stress about the future as much as I did. Again, like I said, I'll be 50 years old this year. Um, my father passed away when he was 45. I feel like I've, I'm sometimes living on borrowed time, looking at family history. So I'm going to live each day to the moment right now. You know, you I wouldn't call that grandiose or pie in the sky. I mean, um, a lot of the uh, the mentors that I respect and admire always encourage us to set goals that are enormous and seem impossible. Those are the ones worth going for. You know, uh, absolutely. You know, I think if I could synthesize it down, it's like if I could, if my legacy on this could be to change the word failure from where the way Webster defines it, defines it to failure as the way Friedland defines it, then, then I've lived a good life. Beautiful. If you could wave a magic wand, maybe this is the uh, the same answer. I don't know, but if you could ma- wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? I think if there's one thing I could change in the world, it would be how, especially in the Western culture, how we view failure. I think so. even when I spoke to this group of high school students recently, so many of them saw failure as a win or lose scenario. I won the game. I lost the game. I got an A on the test. I got a C on the test. Um, I got a date with the pretty girl versus – the, 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 the popular boy didn't ask me out. And there's such this this thought process around failure that I think is so so soul-sucking and, and so toxic. If we could really just shift our mindset to see every disappointment and every quote-unquote failure is nothing more than a, a, a step to the path to success – then, then it's you know the world would be such a better place because it, science will show that the brain only evolves and learns through mistakes. If we get it right the first time, the the evolution and the growth isn't really going to occur. You know, uh, 
I believe that's very true. And there is um, a police, one of the leaders at Google has a rule when he hires people that uh, he will only hire people who are willing to make mistakes. He, yeah. he, he has to, they have to demonstrate that. And that's part of the culture that he's developed. Uh, and uh, out of that comes a tremendous amount of real success. It, it, especially in the tech space, I mean, think, uh, and, I, and I try to, re I deal so much with manufacturing and sometimes in our old school thought processes, is in the tech space, they're constantly iterating forward. But if you take the word iterate away and replace it with the word failure, that's what they're doing. My computer was locked up two days ago because it was getting a bunch of quote-unquote updates. Well, those updates were bugs, and the bugs were mistakes, and those mistakes were made by a programmer. Who's a human being? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just how it goes. And if we just recraft that thought process, we would be so much kinder, to, first and foremost, to ourselves. Secondarily, we'd be so much kinder to the rest of our world, friends, family, however you want to see it. That the, the, the shift could be absolutely monumental. I couldn't agree more. Todd, how can people contact you? Well, Louis, thank you for asking me that. Um, the best way for them to reach me is through our advi our, our website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. Um, you can reach me if, if you and, – and what I like to do is I like to make an offer because I believe so much in, in the podcast community and, and the message that we're sending out today is if, you, if there's anybody who's listening to this podcast today who, who would like a free 30-minute conversation free of charge – uh, simply contact my assistant, Kelly, at booking at extraordinaryadvisors.com. Share with her the problems and concerns that you're facing either in your, your, your business life or as a CEO, even within yourself. And I'd be happy to, to give 30 minutes just to, to chat with you. So many wonderful people have helped me through the course of my lifetime. I'd, I'd love to offer your audience that same opportunity to have a conversation, no obligation, just to see you know, where's your head at and, and is there any way I can help you with any, again, the mindset, the four categories, execution, strategy, cash, or people, any of those categories, I'd be happy to have a conversation. Beautiful. Thank you for that generous offer. Todd, uh, is there any question that I should have asked you that I haven't? Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to your questions, I really appreciate the curious nature in which you took it. So I, I think instead of a question you could, a could ask me, I hope your audience can truly appreciate the, the time and care that you've put into this conversation today and the, the huge sense of curiosity in which you approached the conversation because I think it role models and demonstrates for people that if we just appreciate, appreciate others for their differences and approach, and approach the world with a huge sense of curiosity, an infinite amount of learning can take place. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? You know, I, I think for the people listening today, especially for the, for the people in the entrepreneurial community, if, if you can reframe failure as, a, as an entrepreneur, reframe failure into success as a parent or even as a spouse or significant other, your, your mental chatter will be so much more positive because at the end of the day, we are the thoughts we have. We are the choices we make. And if we make choices with a more of a positive mindset, not, not an unrealistic one, I'm not asking people to be Pollyanna, confront your brutal realities, but take, take those brutal realities and flip them from scarcity into abundance. 
the the world that we live in could be so much brighter and so much and the the chatter in our minds could be so much more positive that you know I would wish that 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 mental calm and that ability to see the world with with infinite possibility on everybody listening today. And thank you so much. You've um, you brought a bright ray of sunshine into this podcast today, and have enriched um, the show, our listeners. Thank you so much for that. Lewis, it was a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Todd Palmer. Pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And definitely grab the free gift I created for you. You'll find it at the website, a downloadable free ebook. Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. It will definitely enrich your personal communication and help you to earn more money. Books. One of my favorite topics. We talked about several important books today. You have access through our sponsor, Audible, to any audiobook of your choice as a free download plus a 30-day free trial of all of Audible service, go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of that wonderful gift. It will expand and enrich your world on a personal and on a business level. In my conversation with Todd today, we discussed many game-changing ideas. Any one of them will has the power to exponentially improve your life. Certainly, the idea that no circumstance outside of you has the power to determine what you accomplish or how happy you feel. You determine that with the perspective or the mindset that you choose in the face of all circumstances. I love the example that Todd gave of Colonel Sanders at the age of 65 years old, reinvents his life and creates an empire. He never fell into the trap of age excuse-itis. Age was just an outer circumstance. His dream, his vision, his belief, his desire prevailed. Certainly start applying that more in your life today. And in the next week, one of the dominant themes that Todd is so passionate about is how we view failure. Start seeing all quote-unquote failure as simply another experience on the path to success, a necessary experience that you celebrate on your path to success. So during the next week, take a look at things that you feel have been failures to you and that you don't even like to think about because they make you feel less powerful than you should. Reframe any one of those things and start seeing it as a wonderful gift 
that has taken you one step closer to success. To help you do that, begin with the question, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.